invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, as we continue through the lectionary in this second Sunday of Advent. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, so if you go through a few more unfamiliar books like Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, other things that look hard to pronounce, you're not quite there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John will be in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 this morning. Before we hear God's word and let it into our hearts, let's pray together. O Lord, our God, by your Holy Spirit, may you speak to us through your word. Speak to us to the very root of our being, the the foundation of our soul. May we hear your word clear and plain to us this day, that that we may know who you are, that we may be challenged and encouraged to walk in your ways, and that your word may settle into our hearts during this Christmas season. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who is spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, And he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water. For repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Chaff and fire. When I was in kindergarten, my parents acquired an, a new piece of ground. They were to be the new tenants of, of a new a farm that was new to us. And it was a nice piece. 130 acres tillable, a good piece of ground. But it had been neglected by the previous tenant over the last year and a half. The soil had not been worked. It had not been tended to. 
And so a, a layer of chaff was rotting over the seedbed. And thick grass had grown up throughout the field and had since died. And it was a tough field. You couldn't work in this ground. Whether you had Case IH or Alice Chalmers or, heaven forbid, John Deere, like my new mailbox, if you saw that, go down New Holland, you'll see a very green and yellow mailbox. Thank you all. What a welcome home present that was after vacation. Doesn't matter the kind of equipment, you could not work this soil back into a seed bed, the nice seed bed where you can plant into the ground and yield a harvest from it. You could not work the chaff and the grass in. The seed bed was lost due to the neglect of a tenant. Well, if you can't work in the ground, if you can't till it or plow it, my parents decided the best thing they could do was to burn it. 130 acres. Now, I was in kindergarten at the time, and it was probably one of the highlights of my childhood. Because we had half-day kindergarten, so my mom picked me up and said, Hey, Stephen, I have a special job for you today. And usually that meant something gross. But my special job on that day was to ride alongside of her in the pickup and throw matches out the window as we burned off 130 acres of chaff and dead grass. That was, I don't think a six-year-old has ever been asked to do something more fun. And so we burned off the chaff. Fire, though, is a scary thing. Because even if you're in a moving vehicle, fire is fast. And you know the reason we threw so many matches out, if you've ever done a controlled burn, you know that the more small fires there are, the tighter radius, therefore the smaller flames that you have. But when you burn off 130 acres of grass, it is a roaring fire. And it travels fast. And it consumes everything in its path. Now, no accidents happened that day. There had been edges and even neighboring fields that had been tilled up to contain the fire to where it needed to be so that it would only burn up the chaff. And after that great fire that, with our text today, I can only describe as a fire of biblical proportions, there was a great seedbed underneath that could be worked. And 130 acres that had been overgrown and untillable and unplantable became fertile soil where good seeds could be planted and a good harvest could be raised. At the heart of our text this morning is a call to burn off the chaff. Burn off that which is hindering or holding back or getting in the way of good fruit. John the Baptist came preaching a message of repentance, and John the Baptist was a strange character, and yet people flocked to him because God was at work. And so people came from the whole region of the Jordan, coming to him to confess their sins. And in so doing, as John preached his message of repentance for the one simple reason that the kingdom of heaven had drawn near, the prophecy from Isaiah about Jesus was fulfilled that there would be the voice of one calling in the wilderness to repair the way for the Lord, to make straight paths for him. 
But John the Baptist goes from his message of repentance and this description of him into what could probably be called by many John the Baptist's angry rant. I mean, really, this Matthew 3 is a bit of a hellfire and brimstone kind of passage. And it is interesting to me that sometimes religious people claim to want more hellfire and brimstone kind of preaching, which is ironic because the angry parts of this text are directed towards religious people. It is the Pharisees and the Sadducees towards whom John addresses his displeasure and his threats, calling them a brood of vipers, questioning if they have the fruit of repentance, and talking about good trees being cut down at the roots and thrown into the fire. My sense is that sometimes... As religious people, the desire for hellfire and brimstone preaching is because we want to feel like we're the good trees, we're the good grain, and to feel comfortable there. And almost an air of superiority that we can assume that those folks out there, they're the bad trees that will be uprooted. They're the chaff. But my friends, the text does not leave us any room for that kind of superiority or judgmentalism. This is our text to wrestle with and to be convicted by. It's not to make ourselves feel superior to other people, but to take a good look at our own lives. Not to say that we're good trees and they're bad trees, but to ask ourselves, where is my life producing good fruit? And where is there chaff that has overtaken the seedbed that is choking out new life? The early church, and by early I mean the first few hundred years, so more than, more than a millennia before the Reformation and the Catholic-Protestant family squabble, more than a millennia ago, the early church used texts like this, and they turned them inward in on themselves. It was a time to examine our lives, to ask about the fruit in our lives and the chaff in our lives, to take a look down to the very roots of our souls and to ask, where are you full of life and where is death still dwelling within you? And to use a metaphor from our text this morning, to take a winnowing fork, a pitchfork, down to the very threshold of our soul, to the foundation where we separated out the grain and the chaff. And the grain can be gathered. Gathered as an offering to God. Saying, God, by your grace, this is the good fruit that I have gathered and can offer to you as a response to all that you have done for me. For us, in Advent, we light the candles. We look towards Christmas Day. And we think about the first coming of Christ that we celebrate on December 25th, which is on a Sunday this year, which is kind of fun. On that day, we celebrate the first coming of Christ. And we read passages like Matthew chapter 3 and think about how people in John the Baptist's day were preparing their hearts for the kingdom of heaven, for the Lord, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus Christ was coming into the world and in fact was already in the world in Matthew 3, as they prepared the way of the Lord. 
But as Christians today, as people living after the first coming of Christ, after his death and his resurrection, as we celebrate in the waters of baptism, we live with a remembrance to the first coming, but also an expectation of his coming again, of the second coming of Christ. And we use texts like these to prepare our hearts in the same way that people prepared for the first coming of Christ. To think about the fruit of repentance, just as John the Baptist called people in his day to repent for the kingdom of heaven had drawn near. If you knew that Jesus were going to return on December 25 this year, and by the way, don't hear what I'm not saying, that's not a prediction, because Jesus himself said, no one will know the hour. So the predictions that are made about when Jesus is coming back, they are foolish. They are rubbish. Jesus himself said, we won't know. But entertain for a second. If you knew that Jesus were coming back December 25th this year, how would you prepare? How would you sort out the grain and the chaff on the threshing floor of your own soul at the very foundation Because the root of the tree and the threshing floor are symbols of foundation. And the axe and the winnowing fork are symbols of sorting out what needs to stay and be tended to and grow and what needs to go. If you knew Jesus was coming this month, would it change the kind of jokes that you tell? Would it give you the courage and confidence To let people know when they share something that you don't appreciate or don't find funny or uplifting. If you knew Jesus were coming back, would it change how you talk to your neighbor, whether it be your family, your friends, your co-workers? Would it change how you talk about others or how you allow others to be talked about? If you knew that Jesus were coming back, would it change what you look at on your computer or on your phone? Would it change your prayer life? These are all the questions that we ask. And maybe it's easy for us to think about people preparing the way for Jesus and his baptism, but to do the same thing for ourselves in Advent and to wonder what it would be like to prepare for Christ coming into the world because that is what the season of Advent teaches us is in our waiting to prepare our hearts and to be mindful of what habits we have and let them continue to grow and flourish, not just in Advent, but throughout the rest of the year as well. John the Baptist takes a jab at things that are chaff, chaff that we love. When he tells the Pharisees that don't don't think that you can say we have Abraham as our father, and somehow not worry about the fruit of repentance or preparing for the kingdom just because of your lineage. No, that's chaff. Status and power and authority and wealth and importance, even our own self-righteousness, these things are chaff. And I say that not as one who is unguilty of doing the exact same thing. There's a lot of chaff in our lives that we love. Symbols and status. I love my academic pedigree of Northwestern College and Western Seminary. But in Advent, when we focus on the foundation, the very foundation of who Christ is and his coming into the world, 
It puts in perspective those things which are simply chaff. They're extras. They're things that would be sorted out on the threshing floor because Christ alone is our very foundation. The foundation of our self-worth, of our importance, of our identity. Who we are as individuals and as a church is foundationally planted in Jesus Christ. And Advent is a time for us to remember that and to embrace it and to prepare our hearts as if Jesus were coming back right now. Christ is the foundation. He is at the very root and on the threshing floor. And for those who were baptized today, we celebrated just that, that Christ is the foundation of who we are. And it is his love and forgiveness that is the foundation of who we are as Christians. So whether it be those who were baptized, those who were transferring, those who made these promises long ago and are remaking them today, for every single one of us, Christ is the foundation of who we are. It is the foundation on which the church is gathered. Not who we're related to, or how far we can trace our lineage, or how religious we are externally. But Christ alone is the foundation. And so he clears his threshing floor. And I actually find a word of comfort in that. Sometimes it's hard to sort out everything in our lives. And within those last few verses, even though there's some scary imagery of a pitchfork and an unquenchable fire, the Holy Spirit is at work within our hearts when we simply open and ask to sort out our lives, to help us separate the grain from the chaff in our own lives. I wonder what that looks like for all of us this Advent. Advent is such a busy season, not necessarily because of all of the extra services, but it's busy because it's the Christmas season. And we have holiday cards to send out. We have Christmas cards. We have presents to buy. We have extra family gatherings to attend to. We have staff gatherings with coworkers, company picnics, and everything that comes to mind. Christmas is a busy time, is it not? It can be full. Now, a pet peeve of mine that I've had for some number of years, and, and now it's my problem to deal with, is sometimes in, in Advent, uh, ministers make challenges to people that aren't actually going to happen. Like, we could say, you know what, this is just, all of the extra stuff is just chaff. Don't, don't do any of that other stuff. Okay, but honestly, spoiler alert, we will. We're going to go to our family gatherings. We'll send our Christmas cards. We'll buy gifts for those that we love. But I wonder if we can't still separate out grain from chaff, even amidst all the busyness, even amidst some of the stress of this holiday season, if we earnestly seek the fruit that is on the threshing floor, if we're willing to burn away all of maybe the extra stress that we have and focus on what can be planted. Sending Christmas cards was always a stressful thing. It was like an assembly line for us all to sign our names. I always tried to shovel snow when mom got that look in her eye that we were going to do the Christmas card thing. It felt like chaff to me. But here's what I wonder. Can we find fruit? Can we thresh it out? By maybe when we send our Christmas cards, do we say a prayer for every single person 
that we send a card to. When we think about gifts and some of the stress that that can be, both financial stress as, as well as personal stress of, well, will this person like this gift? Sometimes when we're trying to impress people. Remember in high school, I was always trying to impress people with gifts, especially if I was hoping it would end in a date. But what about if our gift-giving motivation was not to impress, if we realized that's just chaff, but that our true desire was to simply let someone know that we appreciate them, why we respect them, why we care for them, if appropriate, why we love them? Is it so simple as maybe finding the chaff of letting someone know what they mean to you and left the gift be what it is? I wonder in the midst of all of our family gatherings, if maybe there's someone that we need to reconcile with, so instead of focusing on the stress and the chaff of all these extra things we have to go to, all the travel involved or maybe preparing our own home, if we make an intentional time to find a good grain of conversation, maybe with someone who our appreciation has gone unspoken or a word of forgiveness has not been shared, maybe it's reconnecting with that one person who you've been avoiding for quite some time. And to let your gift be simply a word of appreciation for them. Without any expectation of reciprocation. Simply giving a gift as Christ gave himself for us. Giving a gift of love and appreciation with no expectation of reciprocation. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Husbands and wives, you don't get to say to each other, You know what, honey? I think your family gatherings are chaff. We should cut those out this year. No, no, not saying it, and if you do say that I said it, I won't back you up. This is being recorded. (laughs) But rather, find good fruit wherever we go, in the threshing floor of your own soul, and help. let God help you separate out what is meaningful and intentional. Search for that good fruit. Make it a time of prayer, of sharing love and appreciation. And in so doing, find that fruit of repentance. For the Christian life is not one that we go around being miserable the whole time, being so frustrated and disappointed in ourselves and so down on ourselves. But the Christian life is one of singular devotion to Christ. And when John the Baptist says repent, repent most literally means turn away. When we follow Christ with a singular devotion, when we seek the good fruit that he has planted within our lives, it is a natural begging of the question of what do we turn away from? What do we leave behind? What stresses do we just not worry about? Because we are seeking Christ and the good fruit that is on the threshing floor, simply waiting to be separated from the chaff. Don't let the chaff choke out or cover up the true meaning of the season and the goodness that can happen therein. When I was home on Thanksgiving, there were three empty chairs. My grandma DeVries, my Aunt Donna, my Uncle Ray, who died the day before Thanksgiving. So we had Thanksgiving on Thursday, a visitation on Friday, and a funeral on Saturday. On Friday morning, my sister and a few of my cousins went to a diner with my Uncle Jim. It's his first round of holidays without his wife. We love Uncle Jim dearly. And so we met him at the diner. 
And sometimes those diners can annoy me because there's a lot of chaff. There's people complaining about the weather or griping about politics or whining about their families or displacing the problems in their own lives by blaming it on some other external source. There's a lot of chaff that can happen in those places and it is annoying to me. But that morning, after we left, after a very long breakfast, the waitress there, knowing that we were family, asked my sister and I how my Uncle Jim was doing because she knew that it was his first holiday without his wife. Amidst all the chaff in a busy, chattery diner, there was good fruit. There was love. There was care. There was compassion. Let the Holy Spirit thresh out the chaff from the good grain. May we do that as members of this body, encouraging one another. May we do that everywhere that we go. Separate out the chaff and find the good fruit, the good grain of repentance and love for Jesus Christ and love for people during this holiday season. Let's pray together. God, when you call us to come to you, you call us to the very foundation of our souls. May we seek the good fruit that you have ordained for us, even amidst all the busyness of Christmas. May you burn away all of the extras and allow us to be intentional in finding that which matters most. May we share with one another, with our coworkers, with our families, with our friends, with all whom we meet, the good fruit of repentance, of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.